Amen. Well, as I said, we're going to kick off a series called Jesus, Lord Over All, and we're going to explore some different topics over the next few weeks, basically exploring the idea that Jesus is Lord, and that's not language that we necessarily uh, commonly use today. We don't have uh, kings and queens in our particular American culture, but the idea is that uh, a lord rules over a territory over which they're given authority. Well, as you'll see a little bit later on in the message, uh, our Lord Jesus was given all authority in all of heaven and all of earth. And actually, we would describe the kingdom of God not as a geographical or even geopolitical territory but it's any place in the hearts of men and women where the Lord Jesus is reigning as king, where he is having his way, where he's recognized as Lord and his will is being expressed. His purposes are being accomplished. And so one of the ways that I like to say it, if you think about the, the grand story of Scripture and, and thinking of, we, we could go back and explore all the way to the beginning in the, in the garden where things were, were perfect and set up just as God had intended them to be. There was that intimate relationship between Adam and Eve. It said that they would walk with the Lord in the cool of the evening. They would talk and they would converse. That's that picture, as we talked about a few weeks ago, with communion. They, they communed daily with the Lord. They had that close, intimate, personal relationship well, we know how the story goes. There's this interaction that happens where the enemy is introduced and he uh, questions, did the Lord really say? And, and, and as we go, you know, that introduces sin into humanity. And as that happens, a level of what God had given to his creation was stolen. There was a... a, a God had given Adam authority. It says he has dominion. Uh, he was to care over the earth and the creatures and all these things. And a level of that authority was stolen. And this sets up the story that has now been unfolding for all time. Now, I, I want to be careful because this is not uh, God versus the devil. Uh, the devil is not the opposite of God. God, God has no rival, okay? So, so the, the, uh, we have an enemy, and we don't want to be ignorant of the fact that we have an enemy. But, but the battle uh, takes place on the battleground of, of our souls and our minds and the enemy trying to deceive people into not recognizing what we now know centuries and centuries later that Jesus unfolded his redemptive plan to set back right that which was stolen in the garden. When, when they took the apple that they weren't supposed to eat and ate it. You could sort of metaphorically say that the, the, the disease of sin entered humanity. And the story that we're going to explore today is that at the cross, Jesus took that and he actually put it back on the tree. He actually took that at its root level and dealt with the root cause of what we would call sin and, and proved that he had dominion over that by not only being crucified, not only being sacrificed, but as uh, I've heard said, if it ended there, then, then all of our religion is false. The 
resurrection of Jesus, the actual physical bodily resurrection of Jesus is the proof that Christianity really is the way. That Jesus showed his ultimate dominion and authority and power over the one thing that man had never been able to conquer, and that's the very thing of death. Jesus showed that he, as we're going to explore today, is actually Lord over death. In John chapter 11, we read these simple words. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. We talked last week about how Jesus, I'm sorry, not last week, if you were here Thursday night. It was last week, but it wasn't last Sunday. We talked Thursday night about how Jesus is the pattern. This is a common theme that, that Jesus lived his life in a way to show us what's possible here on the earth. To live life as a person filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. Well, if Jesus is the pattern, if Jesus is the example that we're following, that includes his death and his resurrection. We know that that is symbolically shown in the act of baptism, that the whole reason that we dunk people under the water and raise them back up is a way of identifying through the symbolism of baptism, of identifying with his death, burial, and the resurrection. So as we read here in John 11, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Let's jump over to Ephesians, if you would. If you want to follow along, this will be up on the screen. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. See, if you're you're following this line of thought, it's kind of hard to wrap our minds around. But if we identify as followers of Christ... We actually, there, there's an actual connection there between the things that Jesus experienced and what we experienced. It's not just a pattern in that Jesus lived a good life and showed us how we can do good things and not mess up so much. It, that, that, that would be like an oversimplification. But when Jesus was physically crucified, buried, and rose again, we have an invitation to actually join him in that. Not to follow his example. Not that we need to go out and cut down a tree and climb up on it and, and be crucified. No, that work's already been done. But we can identify with it and realize that as he tells us here, that even though we were dead spiritually because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. In other words, in the resurrection of Jesus is the key to everything that we need to live a kingdom lifestyle, walking intimately with our God and led by the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to make a few statements this morning, and then we're going to explore some supplementing scriptures and um, hopefully get somewhere, but we'll see. This morning, as we think about the resurrection of Jesus... I thought of several things that Jesus is that we find in in these scriptures and a few more that we're going to look at in a moment. And you've often heard this said, but the first one I wanted to, to talk about is Jesus is the way. 
Now, in, in the early church, that was actually like kind of how those who would identify as believers of Jesus uh, were referred to as, as part of the way, the way of Jesus. And what I love about that is that it tells us it's not just about like joining a club or signing up for something or like you've heard it put this, you know, getting some fire insurance for when you die. That, that's not what this is about. This is a way of living. It's a way of life. We often like to call it a kingdom lifestyle. Well, that nods to the fact that it's because we're following the way of the, of the king. We're, we're surrendering in our hearts to the kingship and the lordship of Jesus because Jesus is the way. And I would go so far as to say Jesus is the only way to actually live a real, meaningful, um, substantive, joy-filled life. It's, it's really the only way. There are, uh, as my friend Isaac talked about last week, there are like temporary pleasures. There are ways to sort of scratch the surface of things, but that real true joy that transcends circumstances and feelings and moments is only found in Jesus. Jesus is the way, the way to live, the way to be, the way to the Father. Very, very familiar verse, but I don't want you to get lost in its familiarity. John 3:16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. There, that picture again. He is giving us life. He is the way to life <coughs> over death. The next thing that I want to focus on is that Jesus is also the truth. You've often heard me say that there is such thing as absolute truth, and something can be true but not be the truth. And so true, something being true can have to do with it being a, a fact that can be scientifically proven, but the truth is all found in the person of Jesus. And it transcends, again, our circumstances, our opinions, our feelings, all the things that might uh, push on us and weigh on us in this life. Jesus is the only real truth. He came to the earth as a man, but also fully God, and lived his life in a way to show us this is what it can look like. This is the way. This is the truth. This is the life. And all of this, you know, we can read it as a story, and it is, but it's more than that, not only because it really happened, but as we read these things, it's an invitation to step in. It's an invitation to realize that on the days when my life doesn't feel like the things that I'm reading about, the things that I think Jesus has invited me into, that there's that constant invitation that Jesus says, come, let me show you the way. Let me show you the truth. Let me show you what life can be. Now, we know this is a struggle. I'm not here to tell you that that I've got a lock on this and... and uh, you know, it's all figured out, and from here on out, it's going to be smooth sailing. No, unfortunately, the way of Jesus often comes with many difficulties. 
It comes with accepting that you may often be misunderstood. Uh, You may be falsely accused uh, of having wrong motives. Um, There's all different sorts of difficulties that come with it, but it's the only real way. If you want to jump over to John 14, we're going to read a couple of verses here. So Jesus is talking about the way to the Father, and he says to Philip, Philip had said in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. In other words, he's sort of asking, like, show us, because, you know, just the same for us, oftentimes, believing is seeing, and Jesus is inviting us to see with eyes of faith. And Jesus replied, this is verse 9, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? See, Jesus, as he lived his life out on the earth, was the perfect representation of God the Father with flesh on. In other words, you you could even parse that word out and say, Jesus re Presented. He represented, he was the perfect picture of the will of the Father expressed on the earth with flesh and bones. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you sometimes have trouble believing that, just look here at Philip. He was physically with him. He could actually see him, and yet he still missed it, right? Like he had spent time with him. He had worked with him. It's, it's easy because here's the truth of the gospel, friends. Only Jesus can reveal himself to you. I can tell you the story. I can point to all the scriptures. I can try to act like Jesus. I can do all the things to try to help you along. But only Jesus can reveal himself to you. But I have another secret. He wants to. There's nobody that he's not pursuing. Now, we're all at different places how tuned in we are listening, looking, paying attention. We might not be getting the message. We might be like Philip, and it's actually Jesus has put someone in your life that's acting just like the Father, representing the Father and and being that example for you, and yet you're still not seeing it. But Jesus wants to reveal himself to you. And this is where uh, sometimes as a believer you might be questioned. I know I have been. Well, how, how do you know? How do you know? And it's one of those things that's like, again, we could go into apologetics and we could list uh, reasons and historical facts, but when it comes down to it, I know because I know, because he revealed himself to me, because he lives in me, because I've had an encounter, and it's not about the encounter, but I have actually encountered the living God, and he has become so real to me that no amount of reasoning or circumstances can talk me out of it. That's what Jesus wants to do for every person on the face of this earth. He wants to reveal himself because when you know that you know that you know because you've encountered truth and he's actually come to live inside of you, there's nothing that's going to talk you out of it. There's nothing that's going to happen to you. Even if the most terrible thing happens, you know, we've heard these different stories of, 
of tragic things that have happened to people. And we wonder, how, how, how can they go on? How, how, how can a mother who's had a, a child murdered look at the perpetrator of that murder and say, I forgive you? We think of these things, it's like, well, that's almost unfathomable. Those things are only possible because we have something that's so unshakable in the person of Jesus that we can see beyond even the most tragic and difficult of circumstances if Jesus has been revealed to you and you know that he's real. This might bring up some questions. Um, and we we talk about this a lot around the vineyard. But when we read John 10.10, 10, it gives us the answer uh, or at least points us towards the answer of that age-old question. Well then, Pastor, why do some of those bad things happen to good people? Well, the reality is, as we'll read here, there's an enemy. There is an enemy, and this is what I was saying about it. It's not God against the devil. It's the devil against your soul. He is the enemy coming to war against your soul. John 10.10 10 says, The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose, this is Jesus speaking, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, you've got to read that carefully. He didn't say an easy life. How many of you know that rich and satisfying, uh, sometimes you appreciate the highs more when you've had some lows? I know, we don't want to say amen to that because we don't like those lows, but, but you know, the same concept, it's like they tell you, well, you, you sometimes don't appreciate something until you lose it. There's, there's truth in that. And so we have to be eyes wide open to the fact that this life with Jesus, in order for it to be rich, it's, it's, it's going to be ups and downs, right? And we don't have control over that. We don't get to control our life circumstances and what happens around us and sometimes what people even do to us. But the hope that we have is to cling to something that transcends all of those things. And to say, you know, sometimes life is really hard. And we don't have to pretend that it's not. Especially in the presence of our Father. Because He sees, He knows, He understands. He, he again, He showed us the way. Um, nobody could say that anything that happens to you in your life, you couldn't say this for yourself, is more undeserved and more unfair than the treatment that Jesus received leading up to the cross. Nobody deserved that less, and yet he received every bit of it. He took it even. He took it because it was the will of the Father. And I think it's important to notice, you know, if we read the story of Jesus in the garden, he says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup away. Like, this is really hard. I don't want to do this. But he didn't let his own personal feelings get in the way of the will of the Father. He did what the Father asked him to do. And he knew why. I believe that he knew why. I believe that Jesus saw humanity and moved with compassion, understood that this was the Father's way to get us back to bring us back into intimate relationship, to restore that that was stolen back in the garden. 
to make that life possible. Now, here's the trick. You say, well, that sounds great, but we're not living in the garden, Matthew. That's, that's not our present reality. You're right. We now live in what we like to call the tension between two kingdoms. Jesus came and completed the work that needed to be completed to make possible our intimate relationship with Jesus without the need of a, a, a priest intermediary or a middleman. He made it possible for us to enter into that life, but yet he has not yet fully dealt with all the things around us. And so this is the tension that we live in between the cross and the day when he comes back again and sets all things right. And so we live in this place where we feel pulled back and forth and we have those glorious moments where we see glimpses of the kingdom of heaven breaking in. We see that, uh, if you can think of it this way, we talk in the vineyard about the, the now and the not yet. That's one piece of language we use to describe that tension between our present reality and where God says we're going to be in the future. And one of the ways I like to describe it is if you can think about the perfect reality of, of the atmosphere in the kingdom of heaven, where we are told that there is no more death. The Bible actually goes so far as it says death is the last enemy to be dealt with, and he will be dealt with. There's no sickness. There's no disease. There's no trauma, crime. All of the things that affect us on this earth, those things no longer exist. That is a picture of the kingdom fully expressed. It's perfection. It's the garden. Again, all things as God created them, as he intended them, expressed perfectly in glorious perfection. And what we experience in this life is sometimes, as we pray, as we try to follow Jesus, we will get to see glimpses of that reality pulled into the now. When we pray in Jesus' name, be healed, and that happens, either in the moment or even in time after, that's a glimpse of that present reality being pulled through time and space. And I, I can't explain all the metaphysics, you know, that, that's like, that's above my pay grade. <laughs> that's what we experience. We experience the future reality of the kingdom fully expressed in the net. And so this is what we mean when we're talking about these kingdom realities. We're not being ignorant of the fact that you might wake up tomorrow to bad news. But we know, we wait with eager anticipation, yes, for the ultimate culmination, but daily, every moment. We wait with eager anticipation. Lord, I, I've got this thing going on. I feel this way. Is this one of those moments where you might break in with kingdom reality? Is it, and, and so we ask. We say, that's what we mean when we say, come Holy Spirit. We're not saying... Come, Holy Goosebumps, I want to feel good. No, we're saying, come, Holy Spirit. Bring the reality of your kingdom into this moment. We are a people in need. We are a community in need. We have problems. We have difficulties. We have challenges. We have relationship strife. And in all those things, we can say, come, Holy Spirit. Bring the reality of your kingdom. Even if it's just a taste even if it's just a glimpse, 
come, Lord Jesus. Because the truth of all of this is that Jesus is Lord over all. Jesus is Lord over all. He has the power. He has the authority. Now, we have an enemy resisting this reality, right? So that's what creates the the tension. Because all of that I just said, well, why don't we just do that all... Yeah, we, do, we try. That's, that's our goal. That's what we're moving towards. But we have an enemy that tries to deceive us. We have an enemy that tries to resist us moving towards the things of the kingdom. He tries to distract us. He tries every tool that he has to distort where Jesus intends to take us. I want to read this. This might be, feel a little odd, but I actually want to go back to the beginning. Of, of this story from the cradle to the cross. And we read in the Christmas story, in Luke chapter 2, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. See, I don't believe that Jesus came to the earth because he got so fed up with how we messed it up. I don't think that he just finally got impatient with how many times we didn't listen. I think it was the plan all along. You have to realize, I believe that God, you know, if we believe that God is all-knowing, I think he knew when he created us that we were going to mess things up. And yet he was still willing to do it because he loves us. The idea of us in communion with him, I think, was the inspiration for all of creation. You look at the physical beauty all around you, but in God's mind, as, as much as all of that points to him, and it does, all of creation points to Jesus. But the inspiration, the thing, the thought that maybe perhaps entered his mind that inspired all of creation was the picture of intimate communion between Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and his children, you and I. That relationship perfectly expressed is the beauty that God has spent all of eternity painting and that will be ultimately culminated when we join him on the other side. So I have a simple question this morning, and it might seem kind of obvious. Most of us probably agree that Jesus is Lord. But do you know him? Do you know him? See, it's not just do you know about him. We live, again, in our American culture, there's not as many people as there used to be that have, like, never heard of Jesus. We know the stories. We know the talking points. But do you know him? Is he your friend? Is he your father? Do you talk with him regularly? This is not about a list of of devotional things that you need to do to be a good Christian. It's about what kind of relationship do you have with him? And I think the invitation today is however you would answer that question, he's inviting you to more. If if you feel like, well, you know, I've been hanging around. I've been in church. You know, I know all the stuff, but I wouldn't really say that I that I know him as a person, then today the invitation is he would love 
for you to begin to get to know him. He knows you. The Bible would tell us that he knows the very number of hairs on our head. He knows all of those intimate details, every freckle, every imperfection. Jesus knows you. And he's inviting you to come know him. You might say, well, yeah, I've known him for a long time, but we don't spend time together like we used to. We've all been there. There's no judgment for that. But maybe today you feel him whispering, child, come spend some time with me. I, I, I want you to know me better. Because I, I, I've been told this secret from, from saints that have been around far longer than I have. I've never met anybody that reached the end of getting to know Jesus. I've never met anybody that said, yep, I finally, I finally realized and experienced all that he is. There's always more. And so wherever you're at today, Jesus wants you to know him more. Wants you to understand his character and his kindness. And the key is recognizing that he's Lord and giving him your yes. He's always offering that invitation. And all we have to do is say, yes, Lord. Whatever he's asking of you, whatever he's inviting you, yes, Lord. Jesus, we welcome you into this place. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son whose sacrifice we celebrate today. But, Father, we recognize that today is not just a holiday for celebrating. Today is a reminder of the invitation of how we can live every day for the rest of our life. Knowing you more. Becoming more like you. Recognizing that you are Lord over all, even death. And, Father, most of us don't know how long we have left on this earth it could be a short time it could be a long time but we don't have to be afraid of what comes next if we know you so i ask you today jesus as we worship would you encounter us would you take away fear would you replace it with your love whether it's fear of death or fear of man or fear of difficult circumstances, would your love come and displace those things today? Would your light come and dispel the darkness as we worship you? In Jesus' name, amen.